welcome to the Epic Angels podcast. Every episode, we put the spotlight on one of our portfolio startups. My name is Mikey. And my name is Hester. After the conversation with the founder, Mikey and I will have a conversation together with one of our Epic Angels to reflect on this investment. For today's podcast, I'm excited to present Space Basic. Space Basic empowers colleges and universities to drive student success with a connected campus experience. Whether it's campus housing, integrated payments, or digital cafeteria, students easily navigate the university experience while faculty and staff have access to data-driven insights to work more effectively every day. Universities and colleges today want to digitize manual, redundant, and campus operations and adopt AI technology to make predictive data-driven decisions that will help with cost reductions, optimized operations, and provide an amazing connected campus experience to students. Space Basic already has grown 300% year on year, and we are excited to support them on this journey of growth. Today we have with us Madhavi, the founder and CEO of Space Basic. She is an award-winning founder with Forbes 30 Under 30 in Asia, and honored with Global Australian Awards for Advanced Organization and Government of Australia in 2022. Welcome, Madhavi. Thank you, Esther. Thank you for the introduction. Let's start with learning a little bit more about you. Who are you and how did you come up with this idea? You know, for, for me, I'm a first-generation entrepreneur. I grew up in a very traditional South Indian family where education was the cornerstone of our, our kind of upbringing, really. My parents are both doctors. My sister and I, you know, we were always told education is so important and kind of like really a path to success. For me, it was a bit of a dilemma because I was not very good with my grades while I was in university as well as in school. So for me, I always had to kind of figure out or rather think out of the box to kind of help me navigate through the school and university situation. So fast forwarding, I went to school in India. I did my bachelor's in education in engineering in computer science as well from here. And in 2012, I moved to Australia for my master's. So for me, I think that was kind of one of the pivoting points in my life where I kind of was broke out of my shell, um, you know, moved as an international student. And the experience that I had there was really kind of independent thinking and independent kind of decision making that I really found to work in my favor. I ended up working for an early stage startup before startup was a buzzword back in 2012, right? And what I saw was I started as an intern, kind of did door-to-door sales, QA, testing, and then ended up in product management. And I absolutely loved that journey and that process of working for an early stage company and being a part of the early employee or founding team. And I knew that I wanted to do this and I wanted to do this in the education space simply because of my experience that I had back in India, which was more grades driven while in Australia, it was more collaborative and, you know, a bit of everything really. Um, So in 2017, the company that I work for in Australia, we got acquired. And around this time is also, while I was on a trip to the Bay Area, I met with my now co-founder, Indo. A quick background is that she ran a company called Ceres for about 20 years, had a great exit. I think it was sold to E2Open, raised about 20 mil. And for me, as somebody starting, wanting to start up, it was great to have a woman um, mentor or entrepreneur of that stature to really kind of talk to her and see if what I wanted to do, et cetera. So I wrote to her, got a meeting with her when I was in Palo Alto and 
really started speaking. And what we realized was our inclination of because we are of Indian origin to really give back to or work with the Indian ecosystem. And we also saw that around 2016, 2017 was the time startups in India were, were making a lot of noise and it was really picking up. So we knew that's where we had to be. So went back to Sydney, packed my bags, quit my job, moved to India to really figure out what problem we'll be solving. Now, when I came back to India in 2017 and I started doing due diligence, what I learned was by speaking with at least 50, 60 universities and colleges and schools is around 80% of universities use little to no technology outside of the classroom. So outside of your learning management systems or learning or admissions softwares and portals, there's really no technology that is used within universities to enhance student experience or even digitize their ops or optimize their operations around the campus. We knew that was a problem. We validated it. There were customers who said, yes, this is a problem we want. We will pay you to solve this problem. We saw that pattern consistent. And we said, all right, let's start off by digitizing student housing communities, because that was one of the biggest challenges for pretty much all of the universities that we spoke with. So that's pretty much how Space Basics started. That's super interesting. And has your own experience in Australia also fed into your drive to solve this solution? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the whole reason why I selected education or, or the edtech sector was really mostly because of my own experience. When I was in Australia, we had a lot of digital tools and it was so easy for me to navigate as well or connect with fellow peers. It was very digital. In India at that time, it was rather manual and, you know, pretty cumbersome or fragmented in terms of navigating as a, from a student perspective. That's a problem that technology can solve and it's an easy solution. So just given that experience, I really wanted to work with with the education sector, but we only deep dived and kind of understood what the problem was. And we decided to solve the problem that was very big and very evident. And we stumbled through that during our due diligence. I see. You are a B2B SaaS platform. Right, targeting universities and student housing communities. So would it be fair to say that your extensive digital solution is your competitive advantage? I would say yes. I think what we do is we focus on, unlike traditional softwares, we focus on four things and we do those four things extremely well. We started with one, which was housing, and then we moved on to payments, campus access, as well as cafeteria management. And that all came uh, from customers. We're still a, a very customer feedback centric product. So all our features are built considering pain points. Is the pain big enough that a customer would pay for it or the university would pay for it? So that's how we expanded our product offering from start to what we are today. It's very interesting how you start with the basics that are there in terms of data and then add on to increase the dependability of the students on your app to make their own experience better. You currently do the housing cafeteria. You talked about finance and billing. Then we have access management. Could you share a little bit more what is on the future product roadmap? Sure. So our goal really is to, you know, when the student comes in to the campus to digitize that entire experience, whether it's housing, cafeteria, uh, access control. Some of the things that we are working on is once we have a considerable student population, we want to have students 
the ability to work with service providers. It could be resume services or it could be internships, et cetera. So we want to bring in partners, education partners who can help engage with students and help them succeed. Really, that's that's our goal from like a ecosystem or like kind of opening that up in, from a marketplace perspective. But apart from that, we're also very focused on building uh, one step is digitization. The second step is providing AI-driven insights, analytics, what the university can do better, what they are they are doing really well. How can they optimize it? How can they understand their students better? The AI part of it is something that we're very focused on and we're trying to build out because we have so much access to data and transactions. We want to give that back to universities and help them analyze trends, forecasts, et cetera. Do you have a data analytics capability in your team? Yes, we do. Actually, my head of engineering is a data scientist. He comes from a background of, of working with AI ML technologies. And that was a conscious decision when we hired him is to have somebody lead technology with a data mindset. And that's what we've been able to do today. Nice. And can you give us some stories of how universities have till date use these data insights for better outcomes. Absolutely. I think one of my biggest examples, uh, probably the one that really had an impact on us and my team is there was a university in India. They have about 2,000 to 3,000 students on campus and they feed these students. So about 12,000 meals every day. So that's your breakfast, lunch, snacks, and dinner. So 12,000 meals were being served to students on a daily basis. And this university used to spend about a million and a half uh, feeding 2,000 to 3,000 students for the entire year. Now, out of this expense that they had, almost 30% was going to waste simply because of lack of insights around how many students will come, how many students are going to come, how many are on leave the previous night, for example, or how many just don't feel like showing up. They really didn't have the capability or the solution to help them with these insights. What we did was we built a very simple RSVP mechanism on the app where students just say, yes, I'm coming. No, I'm not coming for the next day, for, for the next week, etc. And when they do walk in with their QR code on the app, they can just check in. Or university can have, let's say they have a gate or they have like a facial recognition device. We integrate with that as well. And that way, this university, just by the RSVP mechanism and also having access to the check-ins and then being able to analyze that in terms of average food consumption or food traffic, they were able to save uh, last, there were 2 million scans from that university. And also they were able to save close to, I think, 150K just with this initial process. We launched with them 150K in, in cost savings immediately just by using this functionality. So it directly impacted their ROI. But more than that, it really helped us understand that food wastage is, is such an important thing. And that technology like this can directly impact that in reducing food wastage and also helping university with their bottom line. I think this year they are anticipating to save around close to 200 to 50 from their wastage because of the analytics, et cetera, that we'll be adding in. And also the founder of that university ended up investing as one of our angels after we built this. And he <laughs> that A true year. believer. <laughs> true. <laughs> so I think you know, this story is, is probably something that really motivated us to listen to customers and build out features and functionality that, that they need versus what we think they need. Yeah. 
So when we go two levels deeper, there's this the sustainability component from food wastage, but also I would say facility management is a great subject to increase sustainability for campus Absolutely. management. Yeah, great to hear. Enough about your product. Let's look at the market and the competition. Uh -huh. So India is your primary market, right? And we all know that India is a huge market with a population of 1.4 billion people. And out of these, around 14 million are enrolled in higher education across approximately 1,000 universities and 40,000 colleges. Now, 80% of these 41 thousand higher education institutions do most of their day-to-day -day processes manually, as you already said. So there's great potential to optimize this. Now, can you tell us a little bit more about the opportunity in India and why Space Basic is best suited to tackle this? Uh, I think, as you mentioned, the Indian market is huge just considering that it has the highest population in terms of students and young adults. And now with the education being growing, the market keeps growing. And I think it's about 3.5 to 4% year on year, which is probably one of the highest growth rates that they have in terms of students enrolling into universities and colleges. Um, and also why it's a green field for us is because I think digitization is happening now as we speak or rather for the last few years. And today we see there's more acceptance to adopting technology there's students and universities have access to internet and smartphones over the last five years, probably more than ever before. And beyond all that, the ability to, uh, with the whole payment system that's come through, I think even different generations have been become more open-minded towards adopting technology that is very simple. You know, Paytm, PhonePay, WhatsApp has really changed that demographic or mindset of e using simple tools to carry out easy functionalities. I'm definitely seeing since we started to now, in terms of adoption, there's very minimal resistance to adoption. So India is just a, a great place to start digitization. We think it's great to even do a lot of R&D in terms of user data, case studies, features that will work, analytics, all of that. I think for us, in terms of market as well as product utility, India definitely is one of our biggest markets. So if I hear you correctly, you're saying everywhere where digital is already a way of life, this works because adoption is so great. Is that also the reason why you are expanding now to Southeast Asia, which we know is a place where people come online very fast? Absolutely. I think Southeast Asia was it was a very natural extension to our current market. What we learned when we were doing due diligence last year to enter into the Southeast Asia market is that in Southeast Asia market as well, digitization is, especially education, I think education is probably one of the sectors that kind of ends up with digitization towards the, in terms of industries, towards the later stages. But we see that happening in Southeast Asia as well. Uh, same problem. I would strongly still stick to the number that 80% are still undigitized. And we're talking to big universities that still have almost no technology except their core ops, which is learning management or admissions. And it, it's very surprising, but that's the truth. And which gives us a, a great opportunity to really come in and land and expand. And uh, what we've seen, what is great, unlike, let's say, directly towards an American or a U Europe market, is our product is... A, in terms of culture as well as market fit is 
is almost like 80-90%. It just fits in. There's really not much of changes or modifications that we have to do to fit this region. And that's one of the reasons why we've been able to navigate so quickly just in six months of being, we were debating between Singapore and Malaysia to as a point of entry, which was Malaysia, because I think Malaysia was more inclined for us to be our, our early adopter and we started seeing traction there. So we decided to start with Malaysia. And in six months of being there, we're already seeing traction, which will see significantly impact our 2023 goals in terms of adding to our ARR. So I think it's exciting for us to start from there and like really aggressively expand next year into the into the Southeast Asian market. But we've already found our point of entry and it's going well. Yeah, I would say you have found product market fit with the 57 universities that you have onboarded so far in India and the 120,000 users and taking this further. You already mentioned that your vision is to grow fast. So, so until 2026, you aim to digitize the campus experience of 1 million students with Space Basic and accelerate towards revenue of 25 million. We would love to hear a little bit more about your expansion plans in Southeast Asia. So you have now entered Southeast Asia through Malaysia. What is next? So what we want to do is in Q4 of this year, we will be putting together our roadmap in terms of um, we've identified Indonesia, Philippines and Singapore, Singapore, because that kind of easily gives us a gateway into Australia as well as US. A lot of universities match that. A lot of international universities in, in Singapore, a few in Malaysia, that gives us a gateway into the Australian and US market further on. But right now, what we have identified is for us to be in um, after Malaysia, we want to do Indonesia and Philippines. Vietnam, these are the three biggest markets in terms of size as well as for us to digitize while we expand into Singapore as well in this process. And then thereon in the following years, figure out how to enter the Australian as well as American markets. I see. And how uh, will your team develop as you are going through these growth stages? So right now, for our sales team in Malaysia, we have two people. We have a consultant and a full-time head of sales working there. Our goal is to, as we expand into different regions, this, rather the scalable way to do it is to have partners and distributors in these regions and really have maybe one or two full-time representatives from Space Basic handling these partner accounts. We are speaking with bigger companies like NVIDIA, AWS, who already have partners and seeing if we can recognize some of their partners coming from some of our advisors from the Southeast Asian market who have built the market in Southeast Asia for these bigger companies. So that's one of the ways that we are approaching that it will work. But also we will definitely be expanding to our direct teams to support the rest of these markets. A lot of things to be excited about. One of the most exciting things, I think, is the current stage that you are in now. You're planning to raise your Series A once you have reached that important milestone of 1 million ARR, which you plan to reach this year still. So coming in at this moment in time is very exciting as you're just ramping up and riding that wave towards your Series A where the whole game starts to change and expansion will increase rapidly. You're currently raising a seed round. It's almost like, like a bridge round to achieve these milestones. Can you tell us a little bit more about your current round? Absolutely. So we are currently raising our seed round in SafeNote. We will be closing that this July. We're good to go. After which we will, uh, our goal with the seed round is to really establish a 1 million ARR. One is expand in India, where majority of that sales is going to come from India. And also two is to expand into a Southeast Asian region being Malaysia 
and have a, a, a chunk of our ARR come from there as well. This will give us a POC, a great rather POC, as well as establish that we are able to scale in India, which is perfect for us for Series A. Then we want to raise our Series A, keeping in mind that the goal for the Series A funding is going to be predominantly used towards expanding in the Southeast Asian market. And from current investors who come on board in this round, what, what do you expect? First of all, having a, a female fund with having two female co-founders is, is, is great. I've always wanted to have more women on my cap table, and that comes true with Epic Angels. Beyond that, also having a fund focused in Southeast Asia is, is really important for us, considering that this is a region that we will be expanding on and which will significantly be impacting our recurring revenue moving forward. We're expecting two, $3 million in 2024 to come from Southeast Asian market. So having an investor to really help us through this landscape at this stage, especially is very important. And I'm glad that it's Epic Angels for us. Lovely. We're very excited to be supporting you. Thank you so much, Madhavi, for all this information. It was really a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you. Excited to have you guys on board. Wonderful. For everyone listening, please stay tuned and we will continue our podcast with Mike and one of our investors to hear more about why we are interested in investing in space, basically. Now let's hear from the investors what they have to say about this startup. And please remember, we're not a financial advisor. All opinions expressed by Epic Angels are intended as educational and reflect the personal research and experiences of the team. For the investor talk today, Janani Triguha is joining us. Janani grew up in India, went to university in India as well, and is currently living in New York City. Janani has an impressive career in tech as an engineer. She's currently Senior Engineering Manager for Squarespace. And next to that, she's also co-founder of Women Tech Leaders New York City, which is a community for senior women in tech to learn and support each other. I'm super excited that you're joining us. I think you can really give us a good perspective on Space Basic and what this is all about. Welcome. Thank you. I'm really excited about Space Basic. What is it that excites you the most? So it's a, it's a product that I definitely see the value in. One, from a business perspective, it's really great to serve this underserved market of education tech. But look, for colleges, it's, it's not a market that anyone has been thinking about. As a student, I see the value to like, I went to college in India. I know how like low tech student experience on campus is. And so from, from both of these, it's amazing how huge the market is. And there's just nobody doing anything there. And for Madhavi to come in to, to realize that opportunity and to really build something that both provides immediate value, like super immediate value to colleges that it almost pays for itself in a way to really get in and start to digitize the entire student experience. It's a huge opportunity. And yeah, so super excited about that. Yeah, what I also was really impressed about what she said in the previous part of this podcast is how she literally did her due diligence before she even started to think about the solution, really trying to figure out what's the problem that we're trying to solve. Speaking with these 50, 60 colleges and universities and like, what is it that you really need? And I feel that that's really what drives them and in their growth. Absolutely. You can definitely see the, the product mindset of Madhavi, right? Like her experience as a product manager, really getting into the views of research and not just being like, oh, I want to do this, like, no, 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 but what is really the problem that you're trying to solve? And really getting into that, that really shines in how they've, like, built their product. And Esther, what is it for you? Yes, I'm very impressed by 
also the result of what you were just saying, her product and customer focus, you see the result right away. Their churn is very, very low, which is quite impressive, I would say. So she's really, customers love them, right? So that is clear. What is, is very exciting is the moment for me where she has found proof of concept in India now with the 57 universities that are on board. And now she's expanding to Southeast Asia. So this moment in time where she has found proof of concept and is ramping up and on track to make this 1 million ARR, that's a super exciting phase for me to get in and to really support the team getting there and reaching their next milestone. And also specifically about India, Janani, you could explain us a little bit more why this is such an excitement within India. So if you're not aware, India actually has the largest number of colleges in the world. And that's a huge untapped market. This is a product that doesn't exist at all. The traction has been phenomenal with the number of colleges, the fact that the churn is so low. So there's a lot in the climate in India where we are, where colleges do want to become more high tech, but there isn't a lot of software for them to do that for this experience. There's stuff for learning and like your assignments are now online and your teaching is online now with COVID and all of that. But your college experience is still largely the same where everything's manual and you have to call in things and, and stuff like that. So it's a huge opportunity for colleges who really want to provide that next level of experience. And I, I think it's a, it's a really cool niche, just given the number of colleges that are there that are trying to do this and, and really the unique space that Madhavi and Space Basic operates in. So I, I think that is really cool. It's, it's also amazing that they've done a lot from a B2B sales perspective. The opportunity is huge, but it's not the easiest market to do business in. And the fact that Madhvi and the team have really cracked that market and they've made a pretty significant dent. I've been looking at the colleges. They're all like really known colleges, including my alma mater, which is on the list there. And so I think it's a really great time. It's a really great opportunity. And the market is huge for this kind of disruption and really excited about it. Yes, yeah. I can't agree more with what you say. In the edtech space, the, the edtech industry remains to be so under-digitized and under-capitalized. And this is one of these things where universities operate based on different data sources quite inefficiently, and it's just right to get better and smoother. And now, especially with the use of tech and the current possibilities with AI, the gathering data that can help decision makers improve their business, not only the universities and colleges, but also facilities managers, food operators, everything that comes with it. The possibilities are endless and we're at the very beginning in the tech industry. I can definitely see the, the case and the huge growth potential for this. Yeah, my, myself, I'm a professor at multiple universities, actually Europe, US and Singapore. At first, when I heard about Space Basic, I was like, what does it mean, right? Digitizing it. That, because all the universities have been all over the world, except for one that was a little bit more digital. One was a private university. All the rest, nothing is digitized. Nowhere in the world. And the one that had things digitized, it felt more like a gadget than anything else. But when I went deeper into Space Basic, I'm like, oh, hold on. It's not just a gadget. It's not just a feature of checking in or anything. It really is about making the operations more efficient, saving a lot of costs, saving a lot of frustration as well for the students and everyone that's around that, and really improving everyone's life. And I think with the cost saving, it's worth that investment because you'll easily earn that back as a university. And that proves because universities indeed are really difficult to sell to. They typically are not the first movers, but the fact that they all get in and stay in, like yes, customers renewing already for four years, 
that's just amazing to see. And on that point, indeed, B2B sales to universities is extremely hard. Where usually B2B takes about three months sales cycle in universities, you can easily add half a year to this, right? It's six to 12 months. But her strategy is to also use partnerships and distribution partners, which is clever. And this is really taking off now where she goes through partners to expand. So that's a clever way. Janani, you're an engineer. If you look at it from an engineering perspective at their products, what's your take on that? So I think it's really clever how they've done it. I like the simplicity of it. A lot of times engineers tend to complicate things. They want to make like this coolest thing that can do a hundred things. And you look at it, you're like, what am I supposed to do with this? They really focused on what is the end goal. And the first end goal was cost saving for cafeterias, for universities that have cafeterias. And they really hold in on that. And they use the data that they had to really optimize and improve immediate value. I think that's a brilliant strategy. In, a, in, the, in this day and age when startups are like, oh, we're just focusing on customer acquisition and throwing money at it and like, oh, profits, oh, revenue, like we'll, we'll worry about that in five years, right? The fact that they've found it and they've gone straight to that to be like, no, we are, we're showing value immediately. We are bringing in revenue immediately and we're doing it in a way that the colleges themselves feel like it pays for itself. So it's, it's almost like a no-brainer for the colleges. To introduce something that has this kind of adoption is really incredible. And that talks to the simplicity of the product. And I'm not talking simple from like, oh, it's an easy product, but simplicity from the user experience that makes it such that it's very easy for these universities to just use it and, and use it in the way that it's meant to be. It speaks to a lot about the user research and the work that's gone in the design of it. Absolutely. Hey, and what about their exit potential? Because as investors, of course, we're always looking at, okay, great, we put our money in. And then at one moment, we want to get our money out as well. What, what are the exit scenarios that you see? I think there are a couple. Obviously, it's very early stage. This is a seed company. But from an exit potential, I see two things. One, there's potential for just this company to really stand alone in the space and grow to the point of being a public company, just given their strong growth numbers and their focus on on revenue and sales um, from the get-go, an IPO or something similar to that. So that is definitely one alternative, but it is possible as they grow and have enough traction that there is another company that's in, in an adjacent ed tech space. There are a lot of huge ed tech companies that haven't ventured into the space. And with Space Basic really expanding internationally, that opens the opportunity for a lot of companies that are in different parts of the world that really want to enter Southeast Asia and enter South Asia and enter this sector. So I think there's potential for an acquisition. I can see also the vertical integration. So vertical SaaS integration is an interesting play here. For example, for a PE-backed company or for a software company to integrate what Space Basic is building in in a vertical chain. And what about, for example, these cafeteria providers? They are often very, very large companies that operate the kitchen in all the universities where they could say, hey, this is actually a great optimizer. It will save us a lot of money as well. Or even a real estate company. Yeah, I, I think that's really interesting. And it's something I was thinking about in terms of digitizing the campus experience and parts of it is not entirely dissimilar to digitizing condo experience. I think there's potential for either a merger in that space a funny story that I heard from a current investor in Space Basic is that the government actually validated the software of Space Basic. Well, in COVID times, they asked to use the software to transform homes into COVID 
centers. So this is another interesting use case of how the software can be used. Many potential exit scenarios that we clearly can see here for Space Basic. I mean, it's an exciting moment, as you said already, Hester, to get in now before they get into their Series A, before all the larger VCs come in. So I think this is an amazing opportunity. Thank you, Janani. Thank you, Hester, for sharing your insights. And let's see what the future will bring. We hope you enjoyed looking behind the scenes. The objective of this podcast is to demystify angel investing and to share insights so you can learn more about the world of venture capital. Interested to see if you can become an angel investor yourself? Contact us via info at epicangelnetwork.com or go to our website at epicangelnetwork.com.